This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, I Be Emma, and the author is Charlotte Pritchard. And Charlotte joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Charlotte. Hi. Well, this book, this book that... uh, was just obviously would be a nightmare for any family to have uh, a daughter kidnapped. Uh, we've seen those kinds of things in the news. Uh, this is a little different twist on it. But as you write, a young girl is kidnapped and lives her life in near isolation. But then she's allowed to uh, go with her father to peddle some uh, brooms in town, and she has a chance encounter with a woman who changes her life. So we will find out more about the different characters and uh, the, the plot here. And obviously we can't tell everything to everybody. We're going to hold back a bit. And so you'll find out by reading the whole story. But, but Charlotte, first of all, tell us about yourself, your background, and why you wrote the book. Oh, my background? Well, I'm a South Dakota girl, born and raised. And um, I only graduated from high school. I'm not a college graduate. Um, I like to read. I love reading because I like to travel and I like to compare what I've read to the places that I've been. Um, I have a sister and she has two nieces. And one of the nieces is married to a nephew who is originally from Amsterdam, or not Amsterdam, but the Netherlands. And then my mom and my stepdad are still living, so that really consists of my family. I am a widow. My husband died in 2005, and I am semi-retired. I used to work at a local hospital here in Sioux Falls. Um, I retired from there back in March, and... I am now working part-time as a data entry clerk. The reason for writing the book is really just something that entered my mind. It was just an idea that formed in my mind. And as time went on, the story grew. And I thought, well, let me write this down on paper. So I kept going and kept going with writing. And I wanted someone to critique it because... When I write something, I think, okay, it's good, and you know, maybe the maybe someone would enjoy this. But I really needed someone to critique it to find if it really was good, and if it was interesting, you know, for me to pass it along to family, because that was my original intention was just to pass it on to family. And um, I was having trouble finding someone here in my local region to critique it. So I was doing a search online and it wasn't related to um, publishing or writing a book, but this pop-up came up and it said, are you writing a book? And I thought, well, yeah, I guess I am. So I, I clicked on it and I thought, well, if I could just get someone, you know, that's in the profession, just to tell me if it was good enough, um, you know, then I'd be satisfied. So I contacted iUniverse, and they critiqued it, and they said they thought it was uh, interesting enough to possibly publish the set as a book. And I thought, okay, well, let's give it a shot. So I went ahead, and now here I am <laughs> with a book that's been published. Well, very good. So. Tell us about Clara. Now, Clara is this uh, woman who's living in the backwoods of Tennessee, but tell us 
what she knows at that moment in time where when the book starts. Okay, the book starts really with her being young. Clara is originally Emma. And um, it tells about uh, the day that she was kidnapped. And then I fast forward, it's seven years to where Clara is like 10 years old. And she has already been named by her kidnapped mother, the mother, uh, as Clara. And she had an encounter with a young girl, or she had seen a young girl on um, on an adventure that she took away from the cabin, which it was very rare for her to do because her kidnapped mother kept a close eye on her. And um, she didn't approach this young girl until the next day because she wasn't really sure she had seen someone that was possibly, you know, her age and that she could associate with. So she goes back and voila, there, there's this girl again. And she approaches her and she's kind of fascinated to know that there is someone or other people around where she lives. She just knows her closest neighbors, which is uh, the Stoddards. And um, that's all she knew. I mean, she didn't realize that that there would be people closer than the Stoddards. Tell us a little bit about these people who kidnapped. Now, who, what are their names? Okay, Maddie and Ed Collins. And Maddie is a greedy woman. She wants what she wants. And Ed is her husband, and he's just kind of an easygoing guy, and he wants to please Maddie, and he ends up usually going along with whatever Maddie wants. And um, it was greed that uh, made Maddie kidnap Clara, or Emma, originally. And, um, see, she couldn't have children of her own. Uh, And she always thought that she wanted to have children, but like I say, she wasn't able to have any. And the thought of being left alone in her old age frightened her because she had an experience when she was young that made her fearful of being left alone. Now, you said you wanted to create a clean story. Uh, Tell us why you decided to do that, and what do you mean by a clean story? Okay, I I like clean stories, uh, stories that omit the swearing. I don't care for that at all. I want... um, my stories to be uh, free of that. I don't like, I don't think a story has to have the swearing and the bad language in order to make it interesting. I, to me, a story can be made interesting just being told. And if somebody wants to add the swear words or whatever, then they, they're going to need to use their imagination because I just won't do that. I don't want to create a vulgar book, so to speak. I don't think that makes a a story strong to have the swearing in there and the vulgar swearing or the vulgar words. To me, that does not make a story strong, even like with the movies. That that just should be eliminated, and I guess I'm just kind of an advocate for clean stories. (laughs) Right. Well, uh, that's uh, much needed in today's world. I agree. Now, okay, so... Emma, as a young girl, is kidnapped. Uh, She is then called Clara, um, and she thinks that Maddie and Ed are her parents, and then one day she goes with her dad into town. Of course, again, they live in the backwoods of Tennessee. She doesn't get into town very much, but this one day she goes, and tell us what happens. Okay. Um, She is really excited uh, to be able to leave and go with her dad to Petal Brooms. And they have been all over the county, and they stop at the one city that Ed evidently um, stops to pick up supplies for the, for the winter. And 
while he's bartering with the store owner for, for selling brooms, she is outside of the store, and she's looking at everything because she's fascinated that there's uh, a town with buildings and there's people all over, you know, and she just, in a way, wishes that she was kind of part of this. Now, how and, old is um, she? How how old is she, she now? She is like 10 years old going on 11 because she mentions it to this woman that uh, approaches her while she's outside of the store. And um, she notices, as, as she's gazing around town, she notices that this woman is just staring at her, and she has no reason, you know, to, to wonder why. I mean, she's wondering why she's staring at her. She wonders why this woman keeps looking at her and won't look away. And she's surprised when the woman approaches her. And this woman uh, is, in the back of her mind, is thinking, is this possibly my long-lost daughter? And I got to try to find out more about this child. And she approaches her and starts, you know, telling her that, well, I had a young girl or a daughter that was kidnapped a long time ago, and I just feel I need to tell you about her. And so she proceeds to tell a little bit about Emma, you know, back when she was, and the girl, and Clara listens. And she, you know, feels sorry for the lady. And uh, before the mother can get actual proof that this girl is her daughter, the Ed, which is, would be her dad, comes out of the store. So the possibility of finding out who this girl is, or if there's possibility that she is the daughter, that disappears. And the woman is really upset because <laughs> she almost has the feeling, this gut feeling that this really was her daughter, but now the chance has escaped her to really prove it because there's a birthmark that her daughter had that is placed behind her ear. And she wanted so bad to be able to locate that birthmark to see if it would be her daughter, her lost daughter. Right. Well, she has nightmares after meeting this woman. What what happens yeah. there? What kind of nightmares is she having? Okay. This whatever this lady told Clara evidently is stirring up her subconscious. So she starts um having nightmares of being lost and people looking for her. And she's thinking that she's part of the search, not realizing that the search is really, you know, looking for her. So this nightmare of being lost and trying to find her keeps popping up. Um, and she gets tired of it. <laughs> she really gets tired of it. And mm -hmm. she just wishes it would go away. And then she's kind of dreading the fact that this woman approached her and told her this story of her long-lost daughter. Well, it sounds and, like a fascinating plot line. And obviously, uh, this is just uh, the beginning of the story. Uh, the title is I B Emma. And we've been listening to the author, Charlotte Pritchard. Charlotte, tell us how to get your book. Uh, it can be gotten online through iUniverse or Amazon or Barnes and Nobles. It can be um, purchased that way. It's not in actual stores. It's just to be bought online. Well, we appreciate you sharing this story. Uh, we can tell that how much you enjoy writing, and uh, it's just it's just. The start of uh, more to come? I hope so. I'm working on one, <laughs> another book right now, but we'll right. see. <laughs> okay. Well, fantastic. Well, Charlotte, thank you again for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Well, thank you for having me. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. 
why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage. Connect with Juliana in media.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, How Blue Are the Ridges? A Novel. And the author is Ken Ollis. And Ken joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Ken. Hello, sir. Good afternoon. Great to, it's great to have you with us, Ken, right from the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's got to be beautiful there this time of year. It is. The, the leaves are turning now. They're not at their peak, but in about another week, they will be, and it looks as though we're going to have a, a bountiful year of our season of uh, all colors that you could think of in the trees from oaks and maples and all. Right, right. All well. and be a very beautiful time. Well, this book takes place in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, but during the Great Depression and and Ken writes that the main characters are proof that you can go from rags to riches if you work hard and take advantage of all the opportunities. And, of course, there's also some excitement and danger when uh, the folks get involved in the whiskey business and the Chicago Mafia tries to take over their business. Again, uh, a novel, but it sounds like it may be based on some history. Is that true? Uh, yes, sir. I wondered... I started to question novel a little. It perhaps could weigh on the novel side, but I whether I'd rather they would put just "How Blue Are the Ridges" by Ken Ollis because a lot there's a lot of factual stuff in it. But it's okay the way it is. I don't mind. Uh, <laughs> it won't, won't hurt a thing. Uh, but uh, I, I was just saying this to let the audience know that. Uh, that there's a lot of factual information in the book, and I got it well, from hearing, hearing, and watching, and observing, and uh, it all came together over the years. Right. Well, you've lived there for decades, and have come, and have left for a while, but now you're back and enjoying uh, these years of your life in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains. Well, let's find out more about you, Ken. A little bit about okay. your background and why you okay. wrote the book, How Blue Are the Ridges? I was born here in a small town, and uh, or a small village, uh, called Jonas Ridge, North Carolina. It's located between Boone and pretty well uh, center between Boone and Asheville, North Carolina, for those who are familiar with this area. It's on the close to the Blue Ridge Parkway, which is... Uh, a uh, part of uh, 
that, that most people know about. And after I was born, was uh, uh, the blue, the uh, history of the, this country was forming in a different direction. The mountains were because people had, had not experienced a depression before, and they really didn't know what to expect. All kinds of stories came out of the mountain, out of the uh, cities and foothills, and all around and. They knew something. These things were wrong, but they they didn't uh, they didn't know how to what to expect really. So uh, I was a part of that uh, after it had been going on for uh, five years or over. But I remember all these things. I had a very good memory, and I could remember my folks talking, all talking about those things, and my father being out of work, he'd, he would go uh, sometimes walk two miles or three miles one way to earn 50 cents and walk back in the evening about dark, and it, uh, it was not a pleasant time. But so far as my part is concerned, and it, it was my observation and my memories, uh, I did not, uh, was not exposed to a a dreadful situation except we were we had enough to eat but we uh, and we weren't didn't go hungry but sometimes we were wanting if that's a good way to put it mm-hmm. and uh, we we uh, made the best of things grew food I always helped my mother from the time I was about three or four years old in the garden and when I got six years old, my family moved away, and I moved with my grandparents, still in the mountains. All of all of my uncles and aunts had gone to the war and or gotten married, and they had nobody to help them out, and they were elderly. So I went there to stay a year or two and help them when I was six years old, and I ended up staying until I was 16, <laughs> 10 years. But anyway... Uh, they they were pretty good years. Little little school that was uh, two grades in each uh, room uh, for go going up to the eighth grade, and then I went to school in a, a high school for four years, and from then on, uh, it's uh, the rest of my life is uh, going from one th- one sort of one thing to another. I went into the Air Force pretty quick after I got out. There's no, there was no, uh, no even thinking about going to college. Uh, we hadn't the resources or my father couldn't, he just couldn't afford it. And I didn't even think about it really. I knew I couldn't and so I just went on with my life as best I could and the Air Force seemed a pretty good way to go. But after about five years, I, I decided to get out of it and try something else. This book, as you've already pointed out, uh, maybe is not a novel, but it is, uh, of course, there's some fiction in it. And you've got these two characters, even though it's based on a lot of uh, your growing up and uh, observing how people worked and, and uh, raised families in, in that beautiful area called the Blue Ridge Mountains. But tell us about Flora and tell us about Millard. Oh, really, in my mind, they were my father and mother. That was just uh, uh, not completely, but I had them in mind when I wrote it. And uh, they were married early. They were very naive, and they married right at the worst point in their lives that they possibly could. Uh, I guess you'd say they're very naive, and... and, uh, they married in 1929, and I had a brother that was born in 32, I believe it was. And uh, but they were just—they were very poor there. They had—they couldn't find a a, a place. A, they couldn't uh, find a home that they enjoy that that where they could enjoy and or or even afford. And then after that, uh, I had a, a, a great-grandmother who lived there. She was 100 years old, and she was a widow, uh, a uh, Civil War widow. 
and she graciously uh, helped them out of a bad spot. She gave them her Civil War pension that she had saved up over a lot of years and bought them a farm of about four or five acres, and that really, really helped them. And uh, that was a, my earliest memories are, are, mm-hmm. are surrounded uh, mm-hmm. around the, that farm, and my happiest memories, I guess. It's uh, I enjoyed it there. I didn't want to leave. And uh, my father and mother, they... I, what I wrote in the book about Millard and uh, Flora are pretty much accurate. He he mined Micah for a while, and he he did not give up. He kept going till he got in with uh, Walter Steamy, who uh, was organized a. He, he was a very wealthy country gentleman, and he's about to lose his business though through the. Uh, Depression, so he uh, uh, organized a very sophisticated uh, moonshine operation called New Barn. Uh, New Barn they named because he, they moved out of his basement into a, a barn <laughs> they built, and God called it New Barn as a, as the name. Seemed kind of right. Uh, well, it's a good one, pretty good way to do it, I guess. And he had a son named Jackson who helped him, who was my father's friend. And my father met him uh, some years later after they were married, and they hired him as third in command. And, uh, of course, he was the third employee, actually, the first employee they had. But they started with their aim in mind that right then was doing short whiskey hauls up and down the Blue Ridge Mountains. But they decided to to take a step farther and go into uh, long hauls, and they did. And then they made a killing. They made tons of money for the days. Uh, they went uh, started out in Chattanooga and went over expanded into Memphis, then on up into St. Louis, then into Chicago, and that's where they, they wanted to end it there and did end it there. But the Mafia got jealous. They had uh, moved too fast too soon, and they didn't like it at all. They had words and had a lot of small fights and, uh, well, it was the I guess you wouldn't call them soft, uh, small. They were a lot of fighting involved. Yeah. And it just kept getting worse and worse. I don't want to keep on. Uh, do you want me, uh, uh, Is this good to keep on this way with the? Uh, well, that's uh, you know this is a this is an important part of your book because of the times, because of prohibition, uh, because of the de- the depression of. The uh, moonshine business was uh, very profitable, like you've already pointed out, and it may have been the only game in town for a while for people to work, huh? Well, for them especially, they contacted this man named Horace Blue, who was a whiskey maker, and he had discovered a way to make the best whiskey anyone had ever tasted, said it was the best whiskey they'd ever tasted, and they wanted more of it. So they uh, set up their routes into Chicago and uh, sold their good whiskey over in there. And, uh, of course, their, their whiskey was good anywhere, but uh, uh, the Walter Stamian, uh, I mean, Millard and uh, his friend John Hughes was uh, fourth, they hired later as fourth in uh, command in, in the organization. And he and Millard uh, more or less established the long runs, the long hauls. And then they had to get a detective because they were being attacked so much, and they had uh, people who was chasing them, and they'd have to fire back and shotgun blasts and sometimes wow. dynamite. <laughs> wow. And the longer any... the worse it got. Yeah, did anybody <laughs> get injured or killed in all of that? Uh, yes, at the end. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very, very dramatic. In, in the mm-hmm. end, there's several people, several mm-hmm. men killed. But, now, are, are, and, is, is moonshine still made today in the Blue Ridge Mountains? It is. They still make it up here, but not on the order that they made it back then. They didn't right. consider anything wrong with it back then. They do right. now, and they're talking about legalizing moonshine whiskey up here and selling like selling in whiskey stores. I don't know if mm-hmm. it'll work or not. But but back then, they, uh, they made their moonshine whiskey, and they protected their territory. The mafia threatened them and, and did everything to... Uh, uh, dissuade them from uh, uh, going on with their plans to come into Chicago, but they went anyway. But the main fighting took place when some of their one of their men uh, left the mafia and uh, decided he wanted out of it, which is a no-no, as you know, in the mafia. You don't get out once you're in. And he came into the Blue Ridge and he he helped he worked and 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 uh, got himself killed of course uh, in his process of moving transferring from the mafia to the mm-hmm. mountain men and uh, I guess there was five or six six men killed or no more than that I'm sure as yeah. a matter of fact the mafia attacked. Eventually, at the end, leading up to the latter part of the book, and they attacked in uh, devious ways and sneaky ways, you might say, and uh, they went into uh, uh, the New Barn Territory, and they men there had a had a fight with them, and some uh, one man sneaked in beyond their lines and shot Jackson's name in, killed him. Mm. And uh, that led on to more. Uh, of course, the sheriff got into it there, and they the Cumberland Gap was the only way they they went. Uh, well, no, it wasn't the only way to Chattanooga, but they w- would go down through the Cumberland Gap. The Mafia did for their own safety, trying to fool the, the mountain men. Didn't work. Sheriff headed them on to the front, the mountain men behind, and corralled all of them up almost and took them to jail. There were some killed there, and they were... the, the By that time, uh, in the uh, newborn group, got their dogs and took after after the mafia and ran them hmm. through the woods until they they caught them and brought them in all roughed up and scratched up from running through briar patches and all that and uh, but they they let most of them go back except the ones who had done devious crimes and and serious crimes they kept them for trial Mm-hmm. And uh, well, your story your story is very detailed. Uh, it's you, you, even though you call it a novel, it more, we could probably call it a historical novel because uh-huh. we do have we do have some characters uh, uh, who are part of your imagination. Even though, like you say, mm-hmm. uh, Flora and Millard are more like your mom and dad. But uh, Ken, we've run out of time. Tell us how to get your book. You can get it through iUniverse. Or Amazon carries the book. I think there's several by now, but I don't know all of them. It just came out in July, and I don't know right. all the, the places. But you could Google and get it just any place. And I, I really sincerely believe that the public will enjoy it. And my goal is to... to uh, get a movie contract. I'm going to New York next uh, week after next for uh, a book, uh, kind of a pitch fest. I'd like to see a movie made out of it. I think it could because I started it from the ground up and built it so that it'd be easy to write and even the writers, screenwriters, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. know they'd like to have a book that's easy to write and would sell good. 
So that I had that in mind when I started, and I hope that I hope to get a, maybe even a movie or a TV, a little something in TV or something like that. If not, we'll just sell while we can. That'll be that. <laughs> well, you can't can't do any of that until you first write the story. The title is "How Blue Are the Ridges." Mm -hmm. a novel and we've been talking to ken ollis o-l-l-i-s so ken thank you so much for being with us on iUniverse radio uh thank you sir and and you folks have been very nice as well as iUniverse and everyone i've been in contact with in the book business this is my second book and i think i thank every one of you very much You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Top Start Golf. And the author is Tom Pazuti, and Tom joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Tom. Hello, Steve. How are you? Great to have you with us, and great, great instructions, everyone, on those of us who struggle at the golf course. I think Tom has a, well, he has a very unique answer and solution to uh, doing a whole lot better when we can't spend six to eight hours a day, you know, <laughs> chasing that little white ball. But let me read what you have written, Tom, just to kind of help everyone understand in general where we're coming from. You say this, my book shows you straight and simple methods to eliminate the backswing, making it so much easier for you to hit a great golf shot. Now, that sounds revolutionary. I mean, that, that goes against everything that you ever see anywhere. Eliminate the backstroke? How did that, came, how did that come about? Well, actually, it's sort of uh, simple. You would think uh, maybe I was talking with some friends uh, on a uh, golf course with foursome or clubhouse, but actually it happened very innocently. Uh, I was driving from my home in L.A. to uh, the market. I stopped uh, uh, at a stop sign, and I saw a young man, probably, oh, maybe early teens, and he was swinging a golf club in front of his house. And I was thinking to myself, my God, what a terrible swing. A poor kid, he has no, <laughs> he has no hmm. athletic ability. So uh, I then kept on driving, and I suddenly said to myself, wait a minute, he'd be better off to cut this swing in half and start from the top and have more, uh, more uh, control. So I went to a, a local driving range and, off to the side, so no one watched me, and so uh, I hit about four or five hits and shots, and I was actually amazed it worked. And so that's how that's how it all started. So you just stick that club up in the air like you're waving a baseball bat, like getting ready for the fast pitch. That's right. That's right. If, if a, a batter uh, and, and can stand up there uh, and try and hit a fifty-five, uh, ninety-five mile an hour heat. Uh, with a uh, with a bat on its shoulder, uh, you can certainly hit a, a little golf ball lying motionless in the grass without a without a backswing. And the backswing is uh, no question about it, is the cause of so many problems with the with the actual traditional ball swing. Well, it always seems to be such a uh, the word scientific isn't right, but when I watch 
pros and they're instructing someone, they're just so careful about every part of that swing. You know, and that backswing seems to be uh, so important. How do they respond to this? Uh, I mean, are they laughing at you or are they listening? Well, to tell you the truth, uh, after I started doing uh, thinking about this and started crying on uh, golf throws while I was playing, I got so much flack from others calling me names and everything else, and that's why uh, some of the things I wrote in the first uh, chapter, uh, the, the com- comments, that uh, I stopped uh, trying and um, playing in front of other people and I started working uh, on my own. Uh, actually, I had written a book before, and so I knew I had a book, another book here. So I figured I'd just do it quietly and carefully behind the scenes and uh, uh, and, and work on it. And then uh, do uh, my things with the, uh, my my family and so forth. It took me a while to get it written, but I finally got it out. So uh, actually, I was very very secret about it for a long time. <laughs> So, uh, are you? What would you? How would you describe yourself as a golfer? I mean, are you the the average golfer who just does it, you know, here and there? Uh, I mean, have you pursued this really uh, pursued golf uh, in a real timely scheduling manner, or you know? So, how much has has this new technique helped you? I guess that's the bottom line. How much has it that's helped fun. you? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I am an average golfer. I started playing uh, in high school, and I traveled around the, the country, uh, played everywhere. But I never really, uh, I was so busy with uh, architecture, my, my pr- profession, that I, I didn't play very much. And so uh, uh, I didn't play to be uh, great at it. I just played to uh, have fun and meet people and so forth. And uh well, it actually it did help my game. I was quite surprised at how easy it makes the uh, playing game uh, so much more fun. And also, a uh, whole plus to that, uh, I had a bad back for a while, and that uh, the, by using a top start, the the back back went went away. It doesn't doesn't hurt your back because you're not going back and forth on your back all the time. So it's that's a major plus. But I I uh, improved from being in the mid 90s to a low 80s uh that was before i started doing it quietly behind the scenes oh well that's quite an improvement that's a great improvement a lot of people can never do that and just changing this technique over a period of time uh, you've dropped that much yes i did because the, the thing that helped most mostly was in the pitch shots uh pitch shots uh you you need so much time to uh to become good at uh, the, the distance, and uh, that's one takes so much time uh, uh, practicing. And with, with my my way, once you set it, uh, the distance it, you don't have to practice anymore, and uh, that was a major a major plus. And I think I really think that the the, uh, the pros will probably take up on the uh, pitch shots more so than power shots. Now, when you swing a baseball bat, I know there's a lot of power in the wrist. There's that, that you know, right at the last there, there's that snap of the wrist. Anything with that? Uh, have you used that kind of technique at all? Yes. That, that is the key for the, the uh, top start golf swing. Using uh, Once you set up your uh, club at the top of your uh, swing and uh, get ready, uh, you that's... When I, in, in the book, I say you must snap your wrist. That is the key to, to make the, the uh, top start swing work. And yes, you're correct. Uh, the same way as a, uh, with a baseball bat, and same way with a golf club. When you start from the top, you must snap your wrist downward. But you're of course doing it in a different motion. It's a it's a whole different motion than swinging it more of it a horizontal way. Uh, so you just have to get used to that, I guess. Huh? You just is there a is there is are you able to explain that so people understand what to do? Well, if you if you play golf at all, I, I mean, being a pro or, or just a weekend warrior, if you play the golf at all, 
you you have already uh, that motion in intuitive for you. So what happens is you really do uh, know how to snap your wrist without uh, learning a whole new method. Uh, and only a person who has not played at all, uh, maybe a, a senior who's uh, in retirement and now supposed to play now supposed to play golf, maybe not play at all. Uh, maybe they have a little ch- trouble getting used to it. But the thing is, uh, it, it's not difficult to pick it up and do so easily. Do we have pictures, photos to to see, uh, you know, different different uh, angles of how this is done? Well, uh, no, I don't. I'm I'm, I'm looking for to uh, hopefully uh, make a uh, video uh, ah, book oh, it, yes. because I think I really think that uh, it would help people to see how to do this and will make the instructions much much clearer. Uh, so if the book does well, uh, then uh, and there's enough interest, interest, well then yes, we'll uh, get uh, we'll make a uh, video, and then that that will help. Now the downswing, anything different there? I mean, the downswing is the downswing. Yes, it's the same. There's no nothing nothing different about it whatsoever, other than just a start to the top. And matter of fact, when I do that sometimes uh, I'll stop and uh, I'll look at people and smile smile and say hi and then swing uh, so <laughs> but no there's no there's no change whatsoever no what about the, the power what about the uh, power now, be- now, that's that's a good question Steve the the surprisingly maybe it's because I'm the author and it's my my idea but there is no difference in the power of the distance by using it from, from the top. What happens is when uh, on the traditional golf swing, you know, there's a lot uh, people get a lot of the sidewinder spins, so you have mm-hmm. your hook and your slice. So right. that, those, uh, those uh, 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 sidewinder spins, uh, you, you use straight line distance uh, to pin because they go curve off. Now, when you use the the top chart, you have normally 100% perfectly forward spin on the ball, and maybe you your distance uh, the arc might might be quite as great as a power swing using traditional. But what happens is the ball hits and has a perfect forward spin and just rolls and it rolls and rolls, and actually you either equal or great or better than your traditional swing. So you don't lose power. Uh, maybe uh, Tiber Wood would, but not not much to Maybe other people will not. Anything different with the feet, your heels, your toes, anything different there? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, completely uh, revolutionize everything. You stand, uh, your feet part, uh uh, regular uh, size sizes, and uh, uh, there's nothing nothing diff- different. Just do your thing normally, and then start to the top. Now, I have uh, in the book. I say make it simple and straight. Uh, to so, so many people use the uh, uh, pro uh, pro tips, and are so confusing and conflicting that people get frustrated, not doing well. So, I say I'm trying to do it simple. Uh, that sort of thing, but actually, you don't have to really change. Just start from the top. That's that's about it. And as you say, start from the top and watch your game soar. And now, there it is. That's you pro- it. <laughs> have you proven this with other people? You know that you've shared this with that are trying it. Right. Uh, as, as I say, what happened is when I came up with the idea, I started to do it uh, when I was playing with people and I got so much flack from them, I stopped doing it. So <laughs> I did it behind the scenes. Uh, and then, then because of the family uh, situations, uh, a divorce and they got stroke and everything else, I did, I really didn't, uh, get around to, uh, playing with other people to help them out. So I, I figured I'll start do the, do the book. Then I'll hopefully be a teacher for the, for uh, other people and that, uh, cause I can't play, uh, I won't, 
I won't win the U.S. Open, that's for sure. <laughs> well, for the casual golfer, it sounds like a, a way to improve the game. And to many, of course, it's revolutionary. Uh, to many, it may even be silly, but my goodness, look what your handicap is now. What is your handicap? Well, uh, the last, last time I watched it, was about, uh, I got it down to 83. Okay. And that's, and right. that's what's that was uh, being always in the 90s because I didn't play very much. So uh, when when I, I'm hoping that uh, whenever, uh, say, a pro takes up the the uh, top chart, then that, that would be the guy that will show how you can do it also on top chart and also get down to uh, par golf. Top Start Golf, that's the title of the book and the author who we've been listening to, Tom Pizzuti. And Tom, tell us how to get your book. Well, uh, right now it's uh, available on uh, Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble. That's also um, a paperback and uh, uh, ebook. Also, we get it to the uh, iUniverse, uh, the uh, publisher. Also, there's a now uh, a website, topstartgolf.com. Uh, you can uh, buy the book through there and uh, read some of the. Uh, uh, chapters and also um uh there's a you can email me um may say nice things nice thing to me or tell me off i don't care and then also the blog which will keep people up to date on this news and also uh i think i'll pardon my saying so but uh my book is so thin and it's only six by nine so uh, make it great stock, stocking supper for the Christmas. <laughs> there you go. Anybody yeah. has a, yeah, there we go. <laughs> that's for sure. Everyone should at least try this. That's for sure. Uh, who knows? You might be able to drop your score as much as Tom has. It sounds like it's the real thing. I'm not a golfer, but you've convinced me, Tom. So thank you so much for being with us on iUniverse oh, thank Radio. You. Appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. See, thank you. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.